Welcome to The Productivity Show, the Asian efficiency podcast dedicated to helping you make the most of your time, attention, energy, and focus. In this episode, Brooks and I talk about what you can do when you feel like you need to make a fresh start. We've all been stuck in a rut or felt completely overwhelmed by everything that we have to do. And in this episode, Brooks and I share some strategies that you can use to break out and hit the reset button. If you've ever felt like you needed to make a fresh start but didn't know what to do, then this episode is for you. You can find links to everything that we share in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 148. And now, on with the show. So Brooks, I finally did it. I think I have left OmniFocus for good. I heard a rumor about that, and when you uh, when you mentioned it, the other people on the team were like, <gasps> it was like you, you told us the, this most shocking news ever. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about what's going on here, because this is, this, is, <laughs> this is shaking Asian efficiency to its core. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it all started with uh, with Matt Ryan <laughs> uh, when he was he was on the podcast and he was talking about to do, which a lot of people in the dojo have been talking about how they love to do. And I looked at it and it looked nice uh, and it had some additional features, which I thought were pretty cool, but I never could justify moving my entire life over to to do. But uh, recently what's kind of happened is that I don't want to miss things that are due at a particular time. And the way I use OmniFocus with the way that their notifications work, I've been having to use an additional application, which is Due, D-U-E. Have you used that application for iOS? I haven't, but I know a number of people who do for exactly that reason, for the stuff they really, really need to be bugged about. Yeah, exactly. I know Katie Floyd has written it up before Mm -hmm. uh, where she uses it in conjunction with OmniFocus. And what it does is it just basically keeps nagging you until you, (laughs) you do the thing that you need to do, which is what I need for, for certain tasks. And so I was running these things side by side and realized that there's a lot of friction here. And I realized that like things were getting kind of out of hand with OmniFocus where I just kind of needed to do a reset anyways. Mm. And looking at to do, I was like, why don't I just do the reset in this other application and give it a shot? So I've actually started putting a couple things in there. I need to take some additional time. I haven't had it uh, this week because been pretty busy cranking out some some videos and prepping for the the uh, presentation that we're going to be going to be hosting actually by the time this airs it'll have already happened but as we're recording it uh, it's coming up in a couple of weeks uh, to do has that nagging alarm feature it actually calls it a, a nag alarm it shows up on your watch <laughs> my apple watch as a as a nag alarm and you can either snooze it you know otherwise if you just leave it you you miss it or whatever it'll come back uh, like an hour later and so uh, there's a lot to like about this this application, and uh, yeah, I just basically felt like I needed a a fresh start, which is kind of the topic for today. Not specifically as it pertains to task managers, but we are going to be talking about making a fresh start or hitting the reset button. So this is something that the Dojo community has been talking about, and. We're going to talk about the Asian efficiency approach to hitting the reset button uh, in a couple different areas. And the first one, I think, is the biggest one. This is probably the one that most people are talking about when they say they need to make a fresh start or they need to hit the reset button. And that is resetting your career. Now, I know that Brooks, you and I have kind of both gone through this, but you've actually done it a couple times, it sounds like. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your corporate experience of resetting your career? Yeah, I, uh, I did reset my career a few times. One of them involved moving cities also, actually. Uh, so very long story short, uh, after college, I or in college, I did accounting. So I was in the accounting track and I was working for a what we call here where I live in, in Canada, Crown Corporation, which mean, basically means a government-owned corporation. Uh, and it was fine. My my job was fine. I really liked my coworkers. Everything was great. But this was during the the kind of first dot com bubble back in the late nineties. And I was looking ahead of what my career path was where I was. And at the time that the technology boom was going on, and and then and now I was very very technologically focused. And I was making, you know, early web pages and doing that sort of thing internally. 
And so I decided that I wanted to totally shake things up. So I left my my very secure government job and my pension and all that stuff. And I left Victoria, which is the city I was living in at the time, and moved to Vancouver to pursue software development. And I did that for a number of years. And I liked software development, but what I found, and it's a lot different now, but back then, what I found is I actually missed, a lot of what I did was very solitary and also very focused on one small thing. You know, I'd spend all day working on working on getting a certain checkbox on a on a web page to do a certain thing, you know, that sort of thing. And at the time I decided that I wanted to shake things up again and this was a number of years later, let's say I'm going to say uh say 4 years later something like that. Uh and I joined a financial software company and started doing uh, client services, so helping people learn and use our software. So I reset again to that more customer-focused, and uh, yeah, I did that for a number of years as well. I did that for seven years, I think, um, starting starting as a frontline person and eventually becoming director of client services for that organization. Uh, and then... I decided I wanted to go out on my own, and long story short, that's how I ended up uh, meeting the Asian Efficiency Crew. So I had a number of resets there. That's my background. Yeah, you <laughs> mentioned in uh, in Hip Chat, I think that uh, you you ended up being at almost every conference that Tan was at, and yeah. so that was the only way that he could get away from you was to have you join the team. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I would just I I, I was like the. Uh, I was like the do app for Tan. I, I would just always be wherever he was. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah, me, my story, uh, I grew up working with a family business. I mean, my dad started a software company and I used to go to the presentations with him when I was just a, you know two or three years old. Uh, he sold software to a special education and uh, there was a stigma back in those days. It was like the Apple IIe days that uh, special education students, there was no way they'd be able to use a computer. It was too complex. And so he kind of used me uh, to, to show that. It really wasn't, wasn't all that hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I, so I've had a role in, in the family business for a, a very long time. Uh, and then it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I started uh, doing some, some writing on the side, which eventually led me to, uh, to get connected with uh, Asian Efficiency and uh, one thing led to another. You know, I did some some writing, uh, and then eventually uh, did some some larger projects, and uh, that led to uh, to eventually a, a full time offer from from Tan to to join the team. And uh, yeah, I've been cranking out content for Asian Efficiency <laughs> ever <laughs> since. So it's about two years. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of curious from your perspective, even before we get into the, the specifics here of uh, actually going through the process of resetting your career, how do you actually, uh, how do you actually identify when it is time to make a change? Uh, just from you personally, I guess, Brooks, like when did you know that it was uh, that you needed to make a move and you needed to hit the reset button? One one uh, one trend that I've noticed with the with the productivity show podcast since I've started being on is uh, you and Tan essentially tell people what uh, what they should do, and I'm like the cautionary tale for uh, kind of learn from my mistakes. So um, I would say that if I had read a lot of the Cal Newport stuff that we had talked about earlier, I think I would have made some uh, slightly different choices. But what I found when I knew it was time to, to reset is I didn't see up at least what I found is in, in the, in the organizations that I had been in, I didn't see a path to success. So I would look ahead to where people uh, maybe above me were or uh, the path that other people had taken. Uh, and it, I didn't feel that that was a path I wanted to take. Uh, so that's kind of what what led me uh, down to the the changes that I had made. Um, and I know we're going to talk about some of of uh, career capital and, and Cal Newport stuff. Uh, but I think had I known some of that 
then had I thought some of that through, like I said, I would have definitely made some different changes. Uh, how about you? What, what kind of were your triggers? Yeah. Uh, I think for me, it was, uh, the lack of personal growth, essentially. Um, I've listened to recently the art of exceptional living by Jim Rohn, who's kind of like the, the godfather of the productivity space. <laughs> and, uh, he said in in there um, what I believed in my my heart even before I heard this, but when I heard it, I was like, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, he said, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. And so a lot of employers are like, no, no, you're telling my employees not to work hard. But uh, this kind of gets back to the the whole idea uh, that, that Tan and I talked about in the the last episode, uh, where w- the the more that you invest in yourself, actually, the more valuable you become to the company that you are working for, whether you happen to be an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, or you're working as part of a large corporation. And so really the, in my mind, you have to identify, like the, you have to do work that is going to be fulfilling to you. It doesn't have to necessarily be easy work. It doesn't have to necessarily be fun all the time. Um, but, uh, uh, you do need to you do need to find a job where they encourage you to to push yourself and to continually get better, and uh, and so I just kind of was looking for opportunities to get better, and uh, that that led to me getting connected with uh, with Asian Deficiency. Uh, what's interesting about hitting the reset button, I think, is that it looks different for every single person. Like your your, your connections uh, are going to be uh, are going to be different. And your relationships and and all of that, uh, that's going to be unique to each individual. And so the path, the exact path that you follow, is going to be a little bit different. All right, so let's let's dive into uh, the whole idea though of establishing career capital because even though the the path is going to look a little bit different, the process is essentially going to be the the same. And so um, there's this concept of career capital which Cal Newport uses. Uh, there's a couple other people who use different terms, which we'll get into in a little bit. But career capital, I think, is the one that makes the most sense to my brain anyways. Uh, and the definition of career capital is the value of competencies, knowledge, and individual personal personality attributes you have to produce economic value. And so this gets into the whole idea of career capital that Cal Newport talks about in Deep Work, where he says that they are the skills that you have that are both rare and valuable and that can be used as leverage in defining your career. And so these are skills that are valuable to the marketplace. Yeah. And I think people, I think sometimes people read that and they, they start feeling bad about themselves. They, some people might think, oh, I don't have any skills that are rare and valuable, but I I think really the way I think of it, the way, and the way that I recommend some people think of it is what are the things that people come to you for? What are the sorts of things that if someone's going to ask you a question, what, what are those things that that they will ask you about? And that can give you a clue of the sort of things that y- you may have been building career capital, whether you know it or not. Uh, and you can kind of look, okay, where can these career capital skills take me? So yeah, the the analogy that Cal Newport uses in the book Deep Work, which really encapsulates this whole idea of career capital, which I like a lot, is this whole idea of the craftsman mindset. And the craftsman mindset... Uh, the story that he uses to illustrate this is a story of a Wisconsin blacksmith, and he makes like Viking swords, which there's obviously not a big market for Viking swords. People are not raiding and pillaging these days, so they don't they don't need swords. But he's gotten so good at it, and it is such a hard thing to do that there's a lot of value in the way that he makes these. And the process is ridiculous. Like it, in the, the blacksmith process, especially for these Viking swords, you're hammering the steel for hours. And if you hit the steel even a couple times too many, you can break it. And now everything that you have done is gone. And so this is a, a, very, uh, a very hard skill that he's kind of mastered. And because he's so good at it, there are people who are willing to pay a lot of money for these Viking swords. Uh, and so Cal's point with the craftsman mindset is that you can't just do the things that you want to do, the things that you enjoy to do. That whole passion mindset is kind of built around that. And that's what he's trying to come against. But this craftsman mindset is really based on the idea of what can you do that's valuable 
especially that's valuable to the marketplace. And so when you're resetting your career, you have to take an honest look at yourself and say, what are the skills that I have? And I know that uh, when I was talking to Tan, one of the things that he he saw, uh, I was not really a video producer. I had created one uh, one video walkthrough of how I use Text Expander. It was like 20 minutes. I didn't edit it at all. It was completely uh, an experiment. And looking back at it now, it was completely awful. But I had left it up on a, a public YouTube channel or something, and he was able he was able to find it. And so when we were talking about like the writing and stuff that I done, he's like, "Oh, so uh, you also do videos?" I see. And I'm like, "What? You found that?" <laughs> Uh, but that was the thing that, I, and I'm speaking for Tan now, but I think that's one of the things that he saw, like one of the places where I could bring value to the company was he saw the potential where if I continued to refine these these skills, that this could really uh, be something that was both hard and added a, a lot of value to, to the company. Um, and so if you're trying to get into a new career, a career that you want, a job that you want, you have to be able to identify those skills that are valuable at that people are looking for. And then uh, maybe you don't have that skill right now. You have to be able to cultivate it. You cannot just say, well, this is something I really like to do. So somebody should give me uh, give me a job in this particular area. That That doesn't work. And by the way, when we talk about resetting your career, it doesn't necessarily mean quitting your job. What it can mean is changing the job that you have now, or sometimes it's having a different job or a different role in the same organization. Uh, just this weekend, I hung out with some of my former uh, employees. We all we all happened to be in town at the same time. So we went out for brunch, which was hilarious because I was looking through some of our old pictures. And let's just say it was a culture of a lot of uh, a lot of alcohol back in back in the old days. But uh, on sun on Sunday, when we met up, we all had our kids, you know, crawling all over us and we we're eating, you know, holding a baby in one hand and eating a taco in the other. So was, let's just say it was a little different environment. Um, but he was telling me that in his company, he, for the longest time, had a role essentially running their SharePoint and doing more IT type stuff. And he wasn't, again, he wasn't feeling very, uh, well, he certainly wasn't feeling passionate and he wasn't feeling that he was growing anymore. And so he actually went and talked to some people in the organization and they created a new role for him in HR of all things, helping doing onboarding and uh, creating company culture and that sort of thing. So totally different job than what he was doing, but because he had built career capital in his other job and built relationships, which I know we're going to talk about, he was able to, to reset his career, but still in the same company. Yeah, that's a really good point. You don't necessarily need to look outside your organization. You definitely can uh, create the space to do the deep work and to develop yourself personally inside of your current organization. And I know that that's something that a couple people in the dojo have been talking about. They've mentioned that their boss just, you know, or whatever, like they're in this situation and they don't see it changing. And then they're stuck wanting to do deep work, wanting to escape their email, wanting to uh, create this this fu- their ideal future, but they don't see how they can do it because they project the. And we talked about this in the previous episode. They project these, they project what their boss or their manager is going to say if they were to approach them and say, "Well, this is what I want to do." Uh, but a lot of times we can project that stuff, and it's not necessarily true. But even if you were to have that conversation, one of two things is going to happen and they're both going to be good. One, you're either going to confirm that, yeah, there isn't a whole lot of room for personal growth for me in this, this organization, or two, there you're, you're going to get your way. Uh, and so I think that that's definitely worth exploring before you would attempt to, to completely change your, your career. It's, it's worth having that that conversation because the, the like I said, the worst thing that's going to happen is that you're going to get some clarity and definition to what the, your current situation really is, is like. Yeah. It's better than going to work miserable every day. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The things that you need to ask yourself when you're talking about developing a craftsman mindset and figuring out what are the things that you can do uh, that are going to build career capital. 
Uh, you need to ask yourself questions like, what can you do that's valuable to the marketplace? So what are what is a marketable skill? Right now, I would say that if you are able to code, that is a pretty marketable skill. If you're able to create content, uh, that is probably a pretty marketable skill. Uh, another question that you could ask yourself is, what can you do that's hard? So it doesn't necessarily have to be the latest and greatest and where, where all the fads and trends are going. Uh, if you are really, really good at making Viking swords, then uh, you, you definitely <laughs> can find a niche there. What, what I would recommend too is, and this is kind of what I did in my, career, in my accounting career when I decided uh, that, I, that what I, was, I was going to leave is, but I, I did it maybe in, there's another way I could have done it, which is look around at the organization or in, if it's not the same organization in your industry or in an industry you want to get into and see who is successful doing the things that, that you want to do and look at the path that they took to get there and and what are the things that they are doing that no one else is doing because chances are a lot of times we look at somebody in a certain role and we say oh that person's so lucky he's so lucky she's so lucky but a lot of times it's not so much lucky it's doing something that other people don't want to do so mm. so take a look at that and that's going to give you some clues of what you can do to develop that craftsman mindset because that other person obviously did yeah that's a that's a Good point. You know, if you're just willing to do do some things that other people aren't willing to do, uh, then sometimes that's the 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 starting place for uh, your ideal future. You know, you you get in on the the bottom floor, but you get in with the right organization or with the right people, and then you continue to work hard. You continue to hustle, then that can that can uh, that can lead to uh, lead to a lot of a lot of growth if you uh, if you have the the ability to do that in your current current organization. Which kind of leads over into the next uh, person's definition of this, which is John Acuff. He wrote a book called Do Over, which has a formula, uh, which I thought was really good. And I have to confess, I haven't read this whole book. I think I got about halfway halfway through it. Uh, but the formula is relationships plus skill plus character. And all of that, in parentheses, times hustle equals your career savings account. And if you want to upgrade, then you have to boost one of these four things if you want to increase your career savings account. And career savings account sounds a lot like the career capital that, that Cal Newport talks about. That's really interesting. Yeah, I haven't read that book. I'm putting it on the list now. But I think if you, if you stop to think about it, this formula is, at, is, is actually really true because you can, you can change any one of these things is going to move the, the, the needle and some of them are going to move it more than others. So you can make up for a lot of the things with hustle, but you could be the, the, the biggest hustler in the world. But if you don't have relationship or skills or character, it's not going to get you very far. So I actually really, really like this formula. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting way of, uh, of looking at it. And uh, we can kind of break down the four different components here. Uh, so relationships, who you know, obviously you can change the people that uh, you are around a little bit further down on the outline. Uh, I had a point here, which I, I think I got from John Lee Dumas, an entrepreneur on fire, where he said that uh, you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And uh, what's interesting about this is that we live in a society now where a lot of this stuff can actually be online. You don't have to physically be in a mastermind with a bunch of business owners. You know, I live in Nina, Wisconsin. It's about 15,000 people. <laughs> and so uh, not a lot of them are very tech savvy. And uh, so being able to connect with Tan and the other people on the Asian efficiency team and people like that, I, I have a term for them called my internet heroes. And my wife always laughs at me when I use that. But uh, the internet is, uh, has given me the ability to play in these bigger sandboxes without actually having to move to Austin, Texas, or wherever these people happen to hang out. Yeah. It's always funny too. when uh, I go through the same thing, uh, with my family, you know, my wife and I have been married for, uh, 15 years this, this year, and, uh, I'll be mentioning somebody I'll say, Oh, so-and-so my friend, so-and-so. And she's like, I, I've never even heard of this person. How, how do you have this friend that I don't even know? <laughs> because, <laughs> because that's how it is with these, uh, these online relationships. And, uh, I do believe that 
that is a, a way that you can, like you said, you know, you live in Wisconsin, uh, I live in Canada and, and online relationships are a way that you can break through some of the barriers that we've traditionally had to make these relationships. Yeah, definitely. And even if it's not a two-sided relationship where you have a platform with the other person and you're going back and forth sharing ideas, uh, even something like podcasts is, is really cool because like, that's how I got started. I just found, found podcasts and downloaded as many of them as I could to identify which ones I really liked. And a lot of the productivity ones were the ones that I, I stuck with. So the old mics on mics with, uh, <laughs> Mike Vardy and Mike, Michael Schechter, um, And then uh, I was an Asian deficiency customer. I had bought the primer. I had bought OmniFocus Premium Posts, uh, Better Sleep. So I searched for every episode I could find where Tan was a guest prior to the Asian deficiency podcast being launched. (laughs) Um, You know, you you just get around, uh, you you look for all of these, all of this content that people were creating and then uh, just listening to it over and over and over again. I felt like I knew these people. And uh, I felt like, especially if you're listening to the right podcast and they're not just the entertainment podcasts, but ones that you can actually learn from, podcasts are a unique medium in that they are a form of entertainment, but you can also learn a lot from them. I don't view them as like an audio book where I might want to stop and take notes necessarily. Uh, although if people do that for the productivity show, that's great because our goal is to give you actionable content that can produce those faster results. But this is, you know, podcast I view is something that you can listen to while you're in the car, while you're doing chores, whatever. And uh, it's just kind of enlarging your mental toolbox so that when you go back to do your work, you've got a a few more dots that you can connect in interesting ways. Yeah. And speaking of relationships, uh, this same brunch where I was talking to the guy who who just changed careers within the same company and, and created that new role, we were actually talking about this topic. It was very applicable. And what he was saying that he's found is, especially now that he's doing this stuff for his, for his his role, that a lot of times, or at least traditionally, I would say a really, really important component of this is skills. And it is still very important. But skills is something that anybody can learn. Like, you know, you can, you can go on YouTube and learn almost anything. You can buy an information product or, or whatever. You know, skills is something anybody can acquire. But he was saying and traditionally that's been important but now by far the most important thing is the ability to form relationships and work with others because every role now almost i mean i'm gonna say every role people are gonna listen and say not not mine okay fine not every role but many many roles now you can't do what what you need to do without others so what he was saying is that a lot of organizations now are not focusing as much on skills as they are on your ability to work with other people. And that's what they test as well, because that's that's the key success component now. Yeah, and that gets into the uh, the whole topic of soft skills, which uh, we talked about with uh, with Gary Smith on, on episode 140. Mm. Um, but uh, that actually leads into the, the next category of... Uh, uh, for the the John Acuff do over formula, which is the skills, yep. which are what you can actually do. And these are the tools that you use to build your career. But like you said, what's really interesting is that the skills that employers are placing a premium on and the skills that can help you hit the reset button and create your ideal future are not necessarily the technical, the academic skills, the hard skills. A lot of them are those soft skills. Yeah, I mean, because you know, you can have as many acronyms as you want on a resume, uh, but it doesn't it doesn't really matter. What really matters is the ability to a have soft skills, like you say, and b the ability to acquire skills. So it's not so much what you know, but can this person learn new things? That's the key thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The next one here is character. So we've got relationships, we've got skills. Uh, Next one is character. So who you are. And this is something that definitely takes some time, not something you can just snap your fingers. Uh, And I know there's a lot of moral undertones to character, but it doesn't necessarily have to be something like being a good person or obeying the rules or anything like that. You don't have to apply a, a religious uh, lens to this. It could also be something like developing your focus muscle, doing deep work. You know, that's not something that you can just snap your fingers and presto changeo, 
you know, you've, you've got the ability to sit down and focus for eight hours at a time. Yeah. And I really, some people think that human nature is just human nature and you know, what, what the way someone is, is just the way they are. But I really do believe you can change your character if you really, really put effort and really, really want to. I'm going to totally massacre the story, so I'm not even going to try and tell it. But I remember reading an article one time and this woman was very well respected in her industry, but she for her skills, but she was apparently just a nightmare to work with. Like, you know, she would be a, a tyrant to her employees and the people around her and she found that that um, that was holding her back in her career. You know, you get to a certain level by being that way, but eventually it will catch up to you. And so in this article, she was saying that she made a concerted effort to really focus on how she reacts and works with other people. And it was a, a 180 degree turn from the people around her. And maybe deep down when somebody says something, her instinct is to jump down their throat, but she doesn't let that come out anymore. And it's really helped her career. And so that's, that's a, to me, that is at least making a concerted effort to change your character. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The last part of this is hustle, which is how you work. And this one we could probably spend quite a bit of of time on. Uh, I actually wrote my book on on this topic, but I want to share just my definition, I guess, of of hustle, which is not original, but it's, it's the one that I, I like the best. And, uh, and that is to force to move hurriedly or unceremoniously in a specified direction. And I think that that definitely applies to how you work because there's a couple different components to this. There's the force, which is the actual work. And that's what most people think of when they hear the word hustle. Uh, but then there's also moving ceremonies or purposely or unceremoniously. Uh, that, is, that, is your, uh, th- that is your purpose. That's the route that you're going to take. Uh, and then ultimately, in a specified direction, that's the vision. So working backwards, you've got the vision, you've got the uh, the purpose or the route, and then you've got the actual work. So I would kind of redefine this as not just being busy all the time, but making sure that you're doing things that are synergistic with your vision and the ideal future that you want to create, making sure that you're moving in the right direction. An easier way to dis- to summarize this might be something like knowing your why. Yeah. And I'll... Uh... Maybe we can put this in the show notes, but a long time ago I bought, but I never got around to actually putting it on my wall. So it's sitting beside <laughs> beside me on the floor, uh, a, a poster by a guy named Joey Roth and, and Chris Gillibo from the World Domination Summit uh, recommended it. And obviously this isn't going to re- work very well on audio, but it's this poster and it has a scale on the Y axis, work at the bottom and talk at the top. And then it has three shapes, an upside down pyramid, which says charlatan, which means you're doing all talk, but no work. And then beside that is a, a proper side, a properly situated cone uh, triangle, which it says martyr. So it's all work, but no talk. And then a hustler is a, a rectangle, rectangular block. And which means it's it's equal parts work and talk. So you're walking the walk, but you're also talking the talk. And I, I thought that, again, I'm not going to be able to describe it properly in audio, but I think it's a really good poster that really shows this concept of hustle. Interesting. Yeah, we'll definitely have to see if we can find a, a link to that and, and put it in the, the show notes. Um, but yeah, I guess the, the main takeaway for me is that when you're talking about hustle, it's not just putting in the long hours but it's uh, making sure that you are moving in the right direction. All right. So the next one here is uh, resetting expectations. So maybe you don't want to completely reset your career. Uh, maybe you don't even want to reset your job. You just want to reset expectations in some area of your life. And I know we've talked about this a lot, but the big thing that you need to be able to do is you need to be able to say no. Can't over state how important this is yeah uh and we've talked about this on the podcast a a lot a lot uh you know there's that saying saying yes to one thing is saying no to something else and vice versa and basically this whole concept of resetting expectation is huge because it impacts everything if you think about it it impacts your happiness it impacts how other people see you it in 
impacts how other people treat you. It impacts how you treat everything. So really, this is this is a key thing that not enough people, I think, think too much about. Yeah, definitely. This is something that is scary to do. It's, it's, uh, it's usually a lot scarier than uh, than maybe it's is warranted. It's, it's kind of like uh, the number one fear uh, of people is public speaking and number two is death. And if you think about it logically, it's kind of like, well, that's, that doesn't really make sense. <laughs> but yeah, you need to be able to, uh, to say no to things. And uh, like you said, when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Uh, one quote that I found that I really liked on this topic is by Charles Boyle, who says that if not controlled work will flow to the competent man until he submerges. So uh, really what we want is for people not to get to that point where they feel like they are submerged, uh, but just to say no proactively to the things that really shouldn't be on their plate to begin with, not just when they feel like they're overwhelmed and can't handle anymore. Yeah. That being said, though, um, I would recommend people, if they're going to say no to something, just take that one second to think about why it is that they're saying no. If they're saying no because it really doesn't align with their values and their goals, then of course, you know, uh, definitely you want to say no to that but i think a lot of times maybe someone will come to something someone will come to them with an idea or a different way of doing things and a lot of times our first instinct is or or a project which might be a little bit outside of what they've normally done and a lot of times people will say no just because it's something different and that's their first instinct but you want to take a second to think am i saying no because it doesn't align my, with my goals and values or am I saying no just because it's something different? So make sure you're you're evaluating that. Yeah, and that kind of leads into the next point here, which is establishing boundaries. This is something that is really, really important and kind of helps you say yes to the right things and gives you the space to say no to the wrong things like you were just talking about. Uh, I know that this was something that I really struggled with. Uh, I was I've told the story before where I was in the middle of a development project for um, my previous previous job and there were people working on product literally all over the world and you know I would go to go to bed at night they'd be working when I got up in the morning uh, they th- my inbox would be full of uh, project updates and sometimes when there was stuff happening and they needed you know they needed feedback uh, immediately then I would be tempted when I was home with my family for example to pull up my phone and check those things uh, and kind of had an epiphany moment when I realized that this is not really helping move the project forward it's not uh, it's not really accomplishing anything other than it's taking my time and my attention away from the people that really, if I'm honest with myself, matter the most to me. So my priorities were, were out of whack. And so I realized that I needed to set up some boundaries. One of the things that I did is I made sure that when I left for the day, uh, I closed my, uh, closed my uh, computer. Uh, when I got home, I would take my phone out and I would just leave it like on the counter because I did not want to even be tempted to look at those notifications and see what was, what, what was in my email. And uh, uh, this is something that we just, we, it's, it's ingrained in us. And I was thinking about this the other day where you, even in the education system, like your kids go to school for eight hours a day or however long, and they can't get their work done. So teachers send home homework. Like they are be, literally being trained <laughs> from five years old to bring work home. <laughs> and it's kind of funny that like now, at least in the space that, that we're in, we're kind of fighting against that. We're saying like, no, that is not the way it's supposed to be. But it's, it's drilled into us. That's hilarious. I had never really thought of it from that perspective, but you're absolutely right. Um, and by the way, we are... And I mean, we as in humans are really, really bad at recognizing these boundaries and recognizing them when when we violate them. So make sure to do your best to pay attention to the signals you're getting from the people around you, because even if we don't realize we're we're letting things bleed over, chances are our friends or family members are making little comments or giving little looks. And that's a lot the way a lot of times we realize that this is happening. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's, it's, it's something that can just creep up without, without being intentional. Uh, it's something that kind of happens, uh, automatically. So definitely you need to need to be proactive in, in establishing those boundaries. 
especially if you have a problem with email because email is a to-do list that other people can write on. And so uh, if you are going to live your life out of your inbox, then uh, you are probably going to end up saying yes to a bunch of things that you shouldn't be saying yes to simply because of the very nature of email where it's one-sided when you're you're looking uh, and you're reading through your messages. Uh, next point here is to pay yourself first. In re- regards to resetting expectations, what this means is that you need to make sure that you're taking care of your own personal needs, desires, and wants before you try to please everybody else. And I am naturally a people pleaser, so this is a little bit difficult for me. Uh, but really, I think the best way that I've found to uh, to view this is with the Asian efficiency core values. We've talked a lot about those, but I really like the fact that the first two are in the order they are, where glow green is first. You need to become the best version of yourself so that you can, number two, pull others up. Uh, and this is kind of also encapsulated in whenever you get on a plane, they're doing their their uh, presentation before you, you take off, your seatbelts are here, the exits are here. They always tell you that w- if the oxygen masks are deployed, you should put on your own first because if you run out of oxygen, then you are of no help to anybody else around you. Yeah, I am uh, I am also not, not great at this uh, to the extent that when Tan and I were talking about the Asian efficiency core values, uh, he asked which one resonated with me, and I, I said, oh, it's not even close. We before me. And he, he stopped for a second. He said, hmm, no one's ever actually said that before. <laughs> so this is something I definitely need to do some work on, the pay yourself first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it it can be something that, especially if you're a, a people-pleasing person, then um, this is not something that that comes naturally. You have to, you have to fight this this urge. Yeah, I, I can I can definitely see the the tendency to be like, well, yeah, that one I really I really like that one, um, but if we're honest with ourselves, then we really can't accomplish that one unless we are glowing green first. Uh, but I I had the same initial reaction where I I attached to uh, in in the uh, when I joined the team it was pull others up, but then uh, we did not actually have we before me it was no ego teamwork, uh, essentially the same sort of idea we before me I think explains it a little bit uh a little bit better. Yeah, you can't you can't uh, just just go to that that place where uh, I think my personality and probably your personality too since you shared that, you know, are are where we want to be the people who are able to help everybody else. But we need to make sure that we are quote unquote paying ourselves first, uh, which is kind of a, a budgeting term. Uh and the idea from a budgeting perspective is that if you wait to pay your own bills, like the, the core bills that you have, your, your mortgage, your, your water, your electricity, if you wait to pay those in, in, uh, until the end, then you're not gonna, you're going to run out of uh, run out of money. Um, or actually, no, that's I'm sorry, I'm messing that up. Uh, the 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 idea is that if you don't set aside the the money for savings before you have to pay those things, those other obligations that you have then you won't get around to saving for retirement or for your kids' college funds or anything like that. Uh, But if you set aside from the very top, like when you first get your paycheck, money into those accounts, then after you pay uh, the mortgage and the water and the electricity and all that other stuff, uh, you'll find that you do have enough to meet all of those needs. But magically, it seems like if you you don't uh, put the money into those, those accounts first, then there tends to not be enough left over. Yeah, if you if you wait if you wait till you have some extra money to invest or to save, uh, it's never going to happen. And, and if you wait until you have extra time to do some some uh, development, personal development, it's ne- it's just never going to happen. Right. All right. So uh, the other thing here under paying yourself first, I would say that the uh, the most efficient way to do this is to establish a morning ritual or a morning routine, uh, because you can hammer out a whole bunch of things that are essential to moving you towards your ideal future in a very short period of time because the the key here is not that you're spending a ton of time doing these things but it's the fact that you are doing them consistently that leverages that compound effect and so when it comes to paying yourself first uh, one of the things that I've found is that I can make sure that I have time to read my bible and pray I have time to stretch I have time to handle all of my personal stuff before my kids even get up just by getting up uh, an hour before them 
And that's something, especially when, uh, when you have a family that can be thrown out the window or your day can go off track real, real quick. If, uh, you don't get a chance to do those things that are important to you. And then all of a sudden you're stuck responding to everybody else's quote unquote urgent needs. And so uh, establishing a morning ritual is, uh, is your body's efficiency mechanism where you can bang out a whole bunch of those things real quickly and then put yourself in a real good position for the rest of your day. Yeah, same for me. If there's something that I need to do for me to, to improve things, it's got to go in my morning ritual. I know some people who are the opposite. For them, they're super night owls. So for them, it's for their evening ritual after everyone's gone to bed. So you got to do what works best with your energy cycles and just the way you are. But for me, it's definitely in the morning ritual. Nice. So the, uh, the other thing here is to make a list of what you've committed to. Uh, this is something that can be, it's one of those things where you hear it and you're like, well, I already know what I'm committed to, but until you get it all down on paper, at least for me, this was pretty eye opening. where I saw that I had a whole bunch of commitments and uh, especially if you write down the amount of time that you spend on each one of those commitments, you'll really be able to see if you are living your life in alignment. And then uh, once you have your baseline, uh, then you only in, then can you, dis, can you start to make adjustments and fix things that are out of place. Uh, and uh, once you've made your list of your commitments, where you're actually spending your time, then you can have those difficult conversations. And it's a lot easier to do that because instead of going in there with a general feeling of, oh, I spend too much time doing this, you have some hard numbers and especially if you have an analytical fact-finding brain like like mine you can say well you know I'm spending 10 hours on this thing every week and I'm just not I that's not how I want to spend my time so I can't do this thing anymore uh, and maybe you know you, you cut back and you only do it 5 hours a week or, or whatever but uh um you are moving the needle and shifting it more towards the balance that you that you are desiring to to establish for your uh, your life, your career, you, you know, everything. We've talked about the the intentional imbalance idea, but uh, really it's just defining how you want to spend your time instead of others determining this is how you should spend it. Is this something you do on kind of a regular basis or is it something you do when things are, everything, things are starting to fall off, the, the wheels are starting to fall off and things are getting bananas and then you're like, yep, it's time to, to figure out my commitments. How do you do this? Well, I would say that the, when everything is is, uh, is is failing, that that is definitely a time that you should do it. But I would argue that you, doing it regular, regularly would have a lot of benefits as well. Uh, it's one of the things that I do consistently is I just sit down and I think about all of the commitments that I've made. I try to do it about every every quarter when I when I do the the twelve week year planning. But if things are are if I feel like things are out of whack, then that's normally the the first place that I would I would look is, uh, you know, what, what exactly am I committed to at this moment? Agreed. <laughs> uh, and if you are committed to too much, that's kind of the next point here, uh, resetting your projects. There's a couple things that you can do when it comes to resetting your projects. Now, a lot of projects tend to be, even though we don't maybe intentionally want to make them this when we start, they tend to be long-term commitments. And so the first point that I put under here for resetting your projects is this whole idea of working in sprints, which is what we do at Asian Deficiency. We've got two-week sprints because every two weeks, you've got to uh, evaluate everything that you have done and determine if there's some changes that need to be made. And uh, when you look at it in, in two-week sprints like that, you can make adjustments pretty quickly. You're pretty... Agile, I guess, would be the the best way to describe that. Um, which I know, like this whole Scrum methodology, like that comes from agile product development. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a business project either. It can be uh, personal projects. My my wife and I have our family meetings every Sunday night. We use Asana to track the different projects that we've we're working on as a as a family, and uh, we're in charge of some ministries at our church. So that stuff will end up in there. And uh, we find it very helpful to just look through all of those things every week, even on a high level, not getting into all of the, the details, but just figuring out, you know, we've committed to this thing. Is this something that we still want to be involved with or is it time to cut this project and, and let it go? 
Yeah, I am a big believer in sprints and I'm a new convert to it. I, I hadn't done anything sprint related until I joined up with the Asian efficiency team. Uh, but now that I've seen the benefits of it, I am I am an evangelist. It, it's definitely a great way to, like you said, get stuff done more than you thought you could. But also you're kind of forced to evaluate what you're doing every two weeks. Like, yes, you look back on what you did, but you also have to have that conversation every two weeks of, OK, what are we actually going to spend our time on? And and yeah, I'm I'm all in on the sprints now. <laughs> Looks like Trey is all in on the sprints too. Oh, yeah. He's in the, the Slack channel says he loves the two week sprints. So yeah, we we two week sprints seems to really work for us at, at Asian Efficiency. I know we tried uh, weekly sprints in the past. I think Tan mentioned that they had done three week and four week sprints also. But uh, yeah, two weeks seems to be the the sweet spot. Another technique for resetting your projects is this whole concept of solar flaring, which is something that I picked up from Asian Efficiency before I worked here. And this is where you say, I will just do something for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever. So for example, let's say you want to get in the habit of going to the gym. That's your big project. You want to consistently every day get to the gym. So the way to quote unquote, trick your body into doing it is to say, well, I'm just going to get on the treadmill and run for five minutes. But you know that once you get on the treadmill and start running, you will stay much longer than five minutes. But you can overcome a lot of that procrastination by using this technique called solar flaring. And this is kind of taken from, I believe, uh, a science or a natural phenomenon where when uh, when the sun has these solar flares, they they keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. They're these big energy bursts. The, the idea here is that you can start just with something small and it can, uh, it can kind of bloom into or grow into something that is actually pretty substantial. And then uh, when, you do, when you take su consistent, substantial action on your goals, it's not going to be very long until you achieve them. I, I use this technique a lot when I'm getting started in projects because sometimes, you know, you need to get started on something and you're just dragging your feet or for whatever reason, it's just not happening. And, and what I'll do is I'll say, okay, well, I will just create the mind map for this or, or start, not even create the mind map. I'll just start the mind map, get the first little bit there. But then once I fire up my node and start, uh, putting stuff down, then stuff starts going. So I, I use solar flaring all the time. Nice. Uh, the other technique under resetting your projects here is the 12 week year, which I am fairly new to, but uh, this is this is really powerful. Uh, and this is taken from the 12 week year book, but essentially it's a it's a methodology where you try to plan for 12 weeks at a time. It's essentially quarterly planning, which is also something that we implement at Asian Efficiency. Uh, you and I both go down to uh, to Austin at least recently, you know, once a quarter, and uh, we meet with Tan for a couple of days and we hammer through all of the things that we're going to try to accomplish as a team in the next quarter. And then we break that down into the different sprints and the things that we need to do to accomplish those goals. But the idea behind the 12-week year, and you can apply this to personal projects as well, is that by forcing yourself to work within that 12-week time period you can actually get a lot of work done in a shorter period of time. A year is just too much where you can say, I want to get this thing done this year. What usually happens is that you wait until the very end and then you try to, to cram and, and get the thing done. And so with a 12-week time period, you don't really have time to put up something big like uh, like a yearly goal off until the very end. But what a lot of people find is that when they break it down and they start taking consistent action on it, that they can get a year's worth of work done in a 12-week time period. Yeah. And I wasn't so sure about this whole 12-week year thing. So what I did, and and if if you're if you're equally skeptical, what I just did is I just took the book out of the library. Like I, I wasn't even ready to commit in buy to buying the book. So I just took it out of the out of the library. And that really worked well for me to get me intro introduced to it and and uh, to see what it's all about. And so I definitely recommend checking out the book. And then there's a pretty awesome, I have to say, module in the dojo, the Asian Efficiency Dojo about the 12 week year as well. Uh, going back to Agile or to Sprints, uh, I was asking Trey in the chat room uh, what he uses uh, Sprints for because he, he said he's a fan. He says he lives an Agile lifestyle 
He has stories on mostly everything in the Trello board, and it started with work and ended up doing it for pretty much everything and for breaking down goals as well. So you can use sprints not just for work stuff, but also everything about what you do. Yeah, that's a that's a really good uh really good point. And actually, if you follow the 12 week year format in the, I'm glad you called out the the dojo module because Brandon's got some great resources in there. He's got a a spreadsheet, which you can use to implement the 12 week year method. And what you do is you, if you follow it to the T, you identify like three big goals that you want to accomplish in a 12 week time period. And then you break that down into weekly milestones, which are essentially sprints like you're talking about. (laughs) And so if they are personal projects, you can break it down uh, weekly like that or biweekly if you wanted to, like like Trey's done. Uh, And then from there, you identify the things that you can turn into habits, things that you can do every day that are going to result in significant progress being taken towards those goals. But it doesn't always have to be work or project related. There are a couple other things that you can, quote unquote, reset to help yourself get out of a rut. And so uh, let's just run through these real quickly. The first one is to reset your diet. So you can change up what you eat. And I think one of the easiest ways to do this is to use a service, like I put on here, Blue Apron. I'm sure there's a lot of other ones uh, out there as well. But everybody that I know that has used Blue Apron, I personally have not, uh, said that they end up cooking and learning how to cook a bunch of new dishes that they never would have tried otherwise. And uh, that's because Blue Blue Apron essentially sends you all the ingredients, the pre-portioned, pre-packaged ingredients that you need in order to cook these meals. And you end up making stuff that, especially if you're like me and you tend to get the same things over and over and over again, uh, that you would never really, uh, never really try otherwise. Yeah. And if you do, if you don't want to cook, other options are, I I know Tan uh, does this, is there's meal delivery services where it's all ready for you. Uh, so you can have a varied meal tailored directly to the whatever type of dietary setup you have, and then it's just all ready to go right there. So it can make things pretty efficient too if you don't want to cook. Yep. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of different options when it comes to changing up your diet, but the easiest way to make changes to your diet, I would say, is to use some sort of service like this where you can automate a good portion of it. Uh, Next thing that you can do is you can reset your wardrobe. Uh, And this is actually something that I do have some experience with. Uh, I subscribe to a service called 5-4 Club, and I did it kind of out of necessity because I had the same dress clothes for about five years. I don't think I bought anything. And uh, my wife was saying that all my stuff was looking ratty, and I did not want to go to the store (laughs) and go shopping. So I found this, uh, this, essentially, it's a subscription service. I think it's like 60 bucks a month. They send you, quote unquote, $120 worth of clothes. Uh, and you just put in your your sizes uh, and your general preferences for style. And then they they send you stuff. And basically, you can return stuff if it doesn't fit. But otherwise, like you're, you're stuck with it. Uh, and so what I've found from doing this is that I have worn some clothes that I never really would have picked out for myself otherwise. But I end up, after I wear them, uh, really liking them. And so... Uh, this is some another way that you could kind of automate this stuff. Um, but really, if you're especially if you're wanting to reset your career, this could work in conjunction. I uh, put a, a, a note under here to dress for success. You know, dress for the job that you want. Maybe is another way that people might say this. But uh, if you are having trouble with motivation and procrastination, then maybe you don't want to wear a t-shirt and shorts when you know every day. Even if you do work from home, maybe you do want to dress up and go somewhere, just like you would going to a corporate job because what that's going to do is it's going to create some additional energy and movement. And as long as you know where you're trying to get to, then that might translate into the uh, the career or the future that you've always dreamed of. Yeah. I had a pretty good sign that I needed to reset my wardrobe uh, in one of my old jobs. One day, one day my team declared it was Brooks Duncan day. So they all sprayed their hair blonde and they all dressed up in plaid shirt and khakis because that is apparently what I wore every single day. And they all had uh, fake iPods that they made up to because I was always talking about how great the iPod was when it was still pretty new. And so I walked into a conference room and there was uh, six Brooks Duncans sitting there staring at me. So that was a pretty good sign uh, that I needed to shake up my wardrobe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> 
another thing you can do is to reset your environment. And so this could either be your workplace. So if you work from home, uh, rearranging your office. Uh, for me, actually, what I did is when I started working with Asian deficiency and, and being at home, uh, I recognized that I needed to change my environment so that I could get work done more easily, especially when recording a podcast or something like this. Uh, four kids at home, that can be pretty pretty uh, loud and, and pretty crazy. So uh, I actually have an, an offsite office where now it's actually at my, my co-working space. Um, but I have the the space to to do things like this and to create videos and, and things like that, which uh, just my my home environment was not conducive for. Yeah, I did the same thing, uh, something very similar. And actually, when I when I first started, when I first left my corporate job and I went out on my own, we were moving at the same time, and somehow the legs of my desk disappeared in the move. So for, uh, for like a year after we moved into the new place, my desk was a warped desktop on top of some other being held up by a bunch of boxes. And eventually I thought, okay, this is not going to work. So, cause I just wasn't, it just wasn't working for me. So I totally redid my office and wrote a blog post about it and actually got picked up by Lifehacker, which was kind of cool. Uh, but I did the same thing recently. I just started going to a co-working space as well because we have a cleaning person coming in every once a week and it was just getting too crazy trying to work from Starbucks around here and stuff like that. And it's really made a big difference going to that, even just for one, essentially one morning a week. Uh, it's really worked out really well. Nice. Yeah. I cannot extol the virtues of co-working enough. Uh, I really do enjoy working at the co-working space. And there's just something about the environment at a co-working space. I mean, especially I mean, there's different types of, of co-working spaces. Um, in Appleton, Wisconsin, this one's pretty quiet, which is actually better for me. But a lot of them, I know they've got music going and there's energy and people just getting in that environment. Uh, sometimes that can, that can help you follow through and take action on your goals. It's the same idea of like going to a gym in order to exercise regularly. Once you walk through the door and you're around other people, who are exercising, then you feel like you want to exercise. When you get into a co-working space and you're around other people, at least in my experience, you know, who are making things and doing things, then you feel like, yeah, I want to do that, do that too. All right. Uh, the next one here is to reset your routine. So uh, we mentioned the morning routine earlier. Uh, Brooks, you mentioned the evening routine. But if you find yourself in a position where it's just getting old and it's getting stale, Think about other ways that you can accomplish the same sort of thing. So maybe you want to uh, do exercise as part of your morning ritual, uh, but you are sick of the workout that you've been doing. So maybe you know try a new workout routine or something like that. Uh, do you have any examples, Brooks, of things that you've done to kind of switch up your routine over the years? Yeah, I've made I've made tweaks to my well, even creating my morning routine and switching things up. I I've done that. I uh, we've talked about my walking routine uh, on the podcast, and I, I actually recently just changed the route. I wanted to do something different, so I started going a different way. But uh, interesting thing, my my son has a new soccer coach, and they're just 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 starting doing some practices. And this coach is a he's actually a university professor. And he really wants to teach him not just soccer skills, but he wants to teach them creativity as well. So this week he gave the kids an assignment, uh, basically what we just talked about. The assignment he gave the kids is to help foster creativity is I want you to do something different. So pick something. It doesn't have to do anything soccer related, but anything in your life that you do normally, I want you to switch it up and do it differently. And I thought that was a really interesting uh, task from a soccer coach and an interesting way to foster creativity. Yeah, definitely. I, I like, I like that. The, the last one here is uh, resetting your friends or resetting your group. Uh, this one we talked a, a little bit about already. I mentioned earlier that one of the, the quotes I really like is you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And uh, I really think that there are a lot of great options for, uh, changing your group, even if you can't physically change your location, the 
Number one place to do that, I would argue, is the dojo. Obviously, I'm, I'm biased, but, <laughs> but uh, there's uh, a lot of really cool people in the dojo who are doing some pretty amazing things. The dojo is definitely uh, a place where you can get around other like-minded people, like-minded achievers, and they can kind of inspire you to achieve some goals that maybe uh, you didn't really even think were possible. I know that's happened to a couple different dojo members recently who have sent in some testimonials. This topic, like many of the topics that we talk about here on The Productivity Show, was inspired by the Dojo, which is our online productivity community. Dojo is a place to connect with like-minded achievers and share the latest productivity tips and techniques while encouraging and holding each other accountable to reaching your goals. If you want to join a community that can help you achieve your goals faster than you ever thought possible, the Dojo is the place for you. It's full of people like Mike P, who recently said, I have today, in the end of May, reached all of my yearly goals before the end of half of the year. Yesterday night, the last goal was reached when I got the telephone call that the job that I aspired to was now mine, and I have accomplished this while having boundaries that allow for time with family and consistent good sleep. I used to believe that I was a person who always would have sleep problems. In a way, this means that I have quadrupled my productivity relative to my situation two years ago. So if you want to join a community that can help you take your time, attention, energy, and focus to the next level, just like Mike, check out the dojo today by going to theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. You not only get access to the community, but also a private video training library with new video modules every month and a private Slack team where you get direct access to the Asian efficiency team. And the best part is that you can get all of this for just $1 for your first month. After that, it's just $29 a month and you can cancel at any time. Again, the URL is theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. You can also find links to everything that we discussed today in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 148. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next Productive Monday. Productive Monday.